Testing one, two, testing one, two, testing one, two. All right, good. Do you want, do I need yeah, to do it again? Testing one, two, testing one, two.
All right, if you want to come and have a seat, we'll get things started. I have a few announcements for you this morning, so I'm going to let you get your seat. I'll give those to you. I feel as though, and this is a good thing, I feel as though when Easter, every time Easter comes up, I guess because of the way I was raised and the church culture that I was raised, there's always, I mean, there's a lot of emphasis placed on making that service for Easter very different. Um, Lysandra, if you want to click those two lighted main buttons to take off this effect so that those listening online, the billions of people listening online don't have to hear that. Um, And so... Anyway, um, what I was saying is growing up in this culture, there's this pressure to make this really pristine, really different, standout type of a, of a service. And I get it. I get the pressure, and I, I think that's fine. I've been a part of some wonderful, wonderful Easter productions, Easter services. Um, but I get to thinking about Haven Ridge. I mean, we just preached through the resurrection for weeks. And I think we try to do a good job emphasizing the gospel weekly. You know, so it's a good thing that, you know, it's a good it's a good thing that we don't have to really make something so different, so unique, so distinct um, that stands out because that would almost imply that we aren't so gospel heavy or gospel centric at other times. So today we'll somewhat be business as usual, doing our best to make much of Christ and his gospel. Um, Austin's going to be preaching for us through the book of Hebrews, a timely message for all of us um, that uh, that has weighty, weighty implications. So let me go through a few of these announcements for you. Um, Heather's baby shower, Heather Scholler. Can you give us a brief one sentence update on how Jeremy's doing for those that may not have seen it? And I'll relay it. Yes, yes. That's a gift of concisement I do not have. So Jeremy's doing really well. If you haven't seen on Realm, she's been posting letters that he sends so that you can read from, from, you know, from his pen. Uh, from his mind, how he's doing, and things seem to be going well for him, especially with his intent, his intention to be evangelistic, you know, and so we're, we're, we're continuing to pray for him and pray for you, and hopefully you've not felt super isolated or alone. I know you've traveled the world since he's gone, you know, something about freedom. I don't know. Uh, I'm not telling him that, but so Heather's baby shower is the 25th. Okay. The 25th of April is going to be a potluck directly after church. There are some other details to that, but please go to realm and you can see what those details are. Okay. So that is uh, that is baby shower, April the 25th. Again, our Easter gathering that we were going to have last week, but whether we had to cancel, we're postponing that till next week, the 11th. That's going to be from three 30 to 6 PM. Um, a lot of stuff going on there. I think the Groves will have their horses out. I think that they're going to do a hayride and stuff, things of that nature. Just a good time of socialization, fellowship, and all of that. There is going to be, we would ask that you would bring fruits, uh, bring food. Some of you had asked about, you know, I think the, um, I think the hammers, I think Austin, you had asked about what to bring. Uh, forgive me for not responding. Hopefully somebody else did. But uh, basically you're bringing food enough for your family plus one is how we normally do those potluck things. 
for those of you that may not be comfortable doing the whole, you know, social eating experiment, you know, experience potluck stuff, that's okay. Bring something for yourself and that'll be, that'll be just fine. You do what's best for you and most comfortable for you. Uh, let's see. Uh, we, we do want to be praying for the, the deal family. You know, Evan lost his brother this week and, and that's, 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 that's online. People know that. So I'm not putting them on the spot or anything like that, but, but, uh, you know, a tragedy nonetheless. So we want to be praying for that family that God would just give uh, grace to the whole family. Evan has another brother, his dad, Chuck, and all the other family, uh, around that whole situation. Uh, if you did not see, I think Catherine posted both on realm and on Facebook. Uh, you know, I think Tracy created a, 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 a food train, a meal train, and Catherine had asked that, yeah, if you're if you're going to give, if you're going to give any amount of money in pre- pre- preparing food or purchasing food or whatever, that maybe that you would consider in lieu of that giving that to help the funeral costs because those things are considerably ex- expensive, you know. So, um, but consider that uh, as a way of of rightly loving the Dill family. Um, in a few weeks, I think Austin the. The, the, I think we had established the week of the 24th, 25th, that, that 25th. The 25th is when we're going to start our marriage series. We haven't talked a lot about that until today. Just to let you know, it's going to be a four-week series. All right, and so I'll just kind of let you know. And, and this is an important thing for us because marriage and teachings on marriage are always relevant. I understand that there are some people that aren't married now or are no longer married or whatever. I understand that. But for don't think that, that this doesn't apply to you. Think of it in this way. Think of it in terms of, you know, you know, adding to what you already know about marriage and what you can help as far as wisdom and understanding to pass on to others who will be married or who are married and need counsel, need help, and need to have a biblical worldview that's shaped for them with regards to marriage. And so the four topics within the discussion are as follows. We'll deal with the origins of marriage. Of course, this is very timely, you know, because marriage is today redefined. You know, uh, you can can lawfully unite any two existing beings basically and call it marriage, but that doesn't fly in the face of the Bible because God as the originator of marriage also lays the groundwork and the terms for marriage. So we're going to talk about the or- origins of marriage, building a, building an apologetic and seeing a biblical theological framework for God's design for marriage. Week two of that will be role distinctions in marriage, understanding the unique and distinctive function the wife and the husband has been given and why those distinctions matter. Week three, communication and conflict, understanding the necessity of language, intention, and vulnerability as it pertains to a healthy marriage. Uh, Because I don't do a lot of marriage counseling. I know a lot of married people, and I've been there for 16 years now. And I understand that a lot of times when there's turmoil or problems, it's usually because you're not communicating or you're not communicating well or communicating rightly. So those things are important. Week four, intimacy in marriage, restoring the beauty and privilege of intimacy between man and wife. And this will be handled with great verbal modesty, I assure you. Okay, so it will be a kid friendly, kid-safe environment. This is not one of those leave your kids home because, you know, it's, it's going to be, you know, inappropriate. Not at all. Um, that's not what we're aiming to do. But intimacy is an important, important, important part of marriage and what that means. Now, because of all of this effort, we normally don't do this, but we're going to push back the evangelism training. All right. So uh, maybe till the fall, there's just a lot kind of going on in my life, and I'm going to be writing a lot of that stuff. I have a lot of stuff written down already, um, and there's other things that I want to consider and I want to do. So if you'll 
extend that grace to us and allowing us to push that back a little bit, that would be that would be fantastic. Most of you don't need my help in that area anyway, but don't think of me coming at this as I'm going to teach you this new apologetic. I'm going to teach you something that's going to revolutionize the way that you evangelize. You know, if you have the gospel, you have what matters most, but this is going to be approaches to it, getting into conversation, practical things like that, a a demeanor and a disposition. I was telling Bill last night as we were celebrating Bill's birthday, he's 37. uh, I was, we were, uh, we were talking. I said, Bill, I said, I think I have an ability to, uh, to talk to somebody about hard things and not get punched in the face. And I think that's important to share with people. Right. So anyway, so we'll see. Um, so allow us that grace. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know. I know we were supposed to launch it April 26, 2020. I've had a year. I get it. I get it. Um, but it got put on the back burner with COVID and all of that. So here we are again. Final announcement. Uh, we're going to implement a nursery strategy. All right. And that's going to happen in about two weeks. I'll give you a brief explanation of that. But first, understand that, well, we appreciate your patience. I know we have a lot of kids down there. These are good problems to have. I have still been in contact with, uh, with Mandy at Little Me. Um, try not to pressure her, but trying to be a constant voice in her ear just so she doesn't forget about us because she has a lot going on. So I've, 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 I've asked Mandy about put, you know, potentials of things, a, a timeline of things, or how they are or where they are. So we're not there quite yet. Uh, she's optimistic, but she's been optimistic for several weeks, so we'll see, or for several months. We'll see what happens there. But in the meantime, uh, Kelly and the, the children's team has been working on some an approach uh, to taking care of our situation with having you know 137 children down there with two adults. Uh, we understand that that's not the way you want to operate, and we're not dismissive of that, which is why these things are being implemented. That's going to start in about two weeks. So basically what's going to happen to simplify things is the three- and four-year-olds, the three- and four-year-olds. So if you're a parent to a three- or four-year-old, understand that your child will stay in here for the first quarter of the service. Okay, so you'll not take them down there immediately. They will stay up here. Then they will be dismissed. They will be kept separate. Now, they will either be... You know, there's there's multiple places. If weather's permitting, and we'll have to adjust for weather, they'll either be over there at this at this community area doing stuff. If the weather's nice, they'll be down there in the basketball courts or something like that. We're going to find a place. The thing is, we got to keep them separated, which does mean that we will not not only need two helpers who's normally down there or, or volunteers, but we'll need four two per class. Right now we have about 10 to 12, I think 12 people who are signed up as volunteers. We need more of you to sign up as volunteers because that's going to mean they're going to be on a rotation and they're going to be serving about every three weeks or something like that. We got into this issue before. We have the numbers. We have the numbers to keep people up here most of the time. And so if you, if you're able to do that, Especially if you have a kid down there and you're not surfing down there, I'm just you know, uh, you know, there's some there's some teeth gritting going on by some folks. So this is an opportunity to 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 be a part of helping helping out, right? So uh, if you're not signed up for that and and that's something that you can handle, some people are like, look, if I if I take care of a kid, I'm I'm, I'm not going to do well. I'll have a breakdown. Well, then stay up here. No breakdowns. Those aren't good. Um, but if you can handle it, if you can handle the crazy and you can love those kids, then we ask that you uh, talk to Kelly and get a part of that list. Uh, if you don't, we're going to give her your name. She's going to call you anyway. So just be prepared to give a defense for, uh, for the denial that's within you. All right. So, and that's how, that's how we'll do that. So anyway, I think that's all of the announcements. Austin, help me if I've forgotten one. When, uh, did y'all have a, a date for that? 
Okay, so tentatively after the baby shower. Let's let's leave that to be seen. Okay, let's leave that to be seen because uh, yeah. So um, we'll announce that definitively rather than making making Jake make a decision like that. So all right, Austin, if you will do me a favor and 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 bring me my Bible, that would be so great. We're going to have our call to worship and prayer. When I pray, if the praise team wants to come up, so I'm going to read you from the book of Romans, chapter five, going into chapter six, but chapter five, starting in verse eighteen. So if you'll draw your attention to the text as our call to worship. Therefore, as one trespasses led to as one as sorry, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man one man's disobedience or obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death he did. He died. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Of course, we celebrate the resurrection. We don't just celebrate the fact that Jesus conquered death, but that he conquered death on our behalf so that death doesn't have sting in our life, so that there's a resurrection that takes place with us as well. This resurrection being that we were dead in our trespasses and sin and made alive together in Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So we celebrate that. We celebrate the implications of the resurrection today. Let's pray, and we'll, we'll worship together. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We celebrate you as we celebrate you every day, not just every Sunday, and definitely not just this Easter Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate you for, uh, for sending Jesus. Jesus, we celebrate you for your obedience to, 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 to the Father. Lord, for submission to his will as an example to us in our role of submission as all believers under, under, uh, under the authority of a sovereign God and king. Father, we thank you for the torment that you endured, ultimately for the wrath that you satisfied. Lord, and for death being conquered. Lord, the capstone or the final bookend to the gospel that makes the gospel complete. Lord, we celebrate that today. Lord, may today not be something that just stands out on its own, but may it be something that exists in a pattern of behavior in our life as believers as we become, as we should be known for celebrating the resurrection daily as it has eternal implications for our lives. 
May they see the joy that you have purchased through your life for us, Jesus. May they see that joy in us. May they see the implications and the effect of the resurrection on our lives as people see us so that our light may shine before men and they may see our good works and that you might be glorified in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.
So if you haven't noticed, Tracy's back with us today. And uh, we had this slight dilemma to her, like, we have two phenomenal female vocalists. What do we do now? (laughs) I'll tell you what we do now. We use them both, and Alan steps out of the way. So (laughs) that's what I'm going to do now. So Tracy, welcome back. Uh, You add so much to what we have here. So uh, we're delighted to have you. So, But April, you come. give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and all his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever.
say where there's life there's hope followers of Jesus go further and we say where there's death there's hope how can we say that because our Lord Jesus Christ whom we trust has conquered death he's alive he's risen from the dead truly man and truly God unique in human history and says 2,000 years ago and says today I am the resurrection and the life
for a moment and then Austin will come up. So let's pray together. Father, we ask this morning that first and foremost that you would inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, that as we've offered you our praise and song, Lord, that you received that and it was a pleasing aroma to you, but also, God, that our worship as a form of submission to your holy word would be a pleasing act of worship as well. And those would be more praises that you might inhabit. Father, I pray for the missionaries that we support, some home, some overseas. 
whether it be Austin Moore, who just arrived in North Africa, or whether it be uh, the Hendrick family, uh, Doug and Lauren, whether it be uh, Michael and Natalie Boyer, or Eunice Blaha, or Candy over in Bangladesh. And I pray for all of them. And I pray that you would superintend all of their needs. I pray that you would give them tremendous ministry in the places that you've called them to be. That you would guard them, keep them safe physically, keep them safe spiritually. Help them maintain purity in all aspects, in all ways. Help them to stay laser-focused and driven on the task at hand. Lord, as sojourners, Lord, as those who are here fulfilling a call that you've given to all of us. Lord, may they be successful in their mission and success being obedience to you. Lord, and may they see fruits of their labor. Lord, I know of missionaries such as William Carey who served in India for decades and decades, never seeing a convert. But these people stay true to the call. So I pray that our motive or what drives us is not about what we see, but what we fulfill, and that's obedience. What we display as our trust in you and your call and your sovereign hand. We're not relying on our own strength or our own intellect or our own apologetic or our own ability, but relying on your sovereignty and the instrument you've chosen to bring life, and that is your word and the truth therein. And we pray that you would hold us all accountable to that. Father, a special prayer for Candy, as was um, some some things that are going on over in, uh, in Bangladesh with her. She has COVID, and I think her driver, I think it was the text that we received about COVID, and just some complications there. Uh, she's in quarantine and just uh, is is feeling fine, but Lord, you know that she wants to be back on mission and this is kind of uh stunted that and she's 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 feeling uh she's feeling that mentally so i pray that you'd give her a good time of rest a time of reflection a time to even in her sickness to be rejuvenated to be refueled to go back out into the field father we pray for all of them we ask for your strength we ask for your power on them that you would move mightily amongst those nations father i pray for austin as he is uh, preparing to stand up here behind your word, under your word, under its subjection and yours. And I pray that you would make clear to him what is to be shared with us, Lord, and that you would make us willing and ready and delighted recipients of your truth. Lord, I pray that our opinions, our processes wouldn't get in the way. Lord, that we would have clear eyes to see the truth behind your word and its implications for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. As Alan mentioned uh, earlier, you know, we've, we've spent so much time at the end of John on the resurrection and all that it entails. Um, it, it, we, we, we more or less made the decision to not really focus on the resurrection specifically today. Um, and so I'm not going to go to a, a common passage, obviously, if you know much about the book of Hebrews. I'm not going to go to a common passage that I think is touched on on, on Easter Sunday. Um, 
But I'm going to go to a passage, and, and ultimately this message is about missions. It's about evangelism. Because the doctrines that we, that we treasure so much, the effect of the resurrection, right? Paul, Paul wrote to the, to the Romans and said, He was raised for your justification. The Spirit given to secure righteousness for us. Right, the new creation that we are in Christ, the heavenly reward, the, all of these things that are the result of the resurrection, all the things that we've spent so much time really talking about at the end in the latter part of John, those are meant to do something in us. They're, they're meant to equip us and fuel us for the work of testifying to the world and showing the world that Jesus is of infinite value. That if the Bible is true and the hope that is, that is espoused and proclaimed within it, then our lives ought to look radically different from the rest of the world. But here we've been lulled to sleep over the last century. Now I, I say that and I, I look out and I see so many of you and I, and I love this church. I, I love the passion that the people in our church have for Christ and the desire for clarity, and the desire to not be comfortable here, but to take the gospel there. And so I'll say this as a footnote, this message I feel like is mainly for me. Because as I, as I studied through this, and I've I read this, and the Lord has just laid this on my heart over the last several weeks, um, I, I've said, you know, Austin, this is what you need. And so I, I hope that some of you need this message too. I mean, that's the reason I'm, I'm praying it. E- either to, to, to move you outside the area of comfort in your witnessing, in your sharing of the gospel, in your missions effort, maybe to foster some sort of crazy dream that the Lord's been stirring in you. You're just not sure what to do with. Perhaps this is the catalyst to push you beyond those whatever boundaries they are. And maybe some of you are already there. Maybe some of you are already there outside the camp. You're feeling the pressures of the culture. And, and this is salve to a lot of struggle that you've been going through. And this is just further fuel to you continuing gospel efforts and gospel work. But there's also the risk... That we, would bes- that, that we would slumber in arbors that are along the trail for the sojourner or that we would turn them into homesteads because that's really the drumbeat that I feel like has occurred within Western Christianity over the last century or so. And if we're not careful, we'll succumb to the same lullaby that's been, that, that's, that's been put together. So, so that's where that's where I am. That, that's where I am this morning, um, and I'm in Hebrews because I feel like Hebrews addresses this phenomenally. Um, if you were to say, Austin, you you, you know you're getting ready to be exiled, or you're getting ready to be thrown in jail, you can have one book of the Bible. What do you want? Hebrews, hands down, Hebrews. Give me Hebrews all day long. You know, if you were to say, well, well, Austin, you know. You don't have time for the whole book. You pull out one page. Give me this page, chapter 13. They don't have time for one page. Write down one, one or two verses, whatever's going to fit right there. 
I'm going to go to 12 and 13. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. You know, I'm, I'm an analytical guy by nature. I don't, you know, I've, I, Alan's the tattoo guy. I'm not the tattoo guy. It's mainly because I can't commit to, you know, pinning something on my body for eternity. I just struggle with that. I'm like, right, what do I want? You know, it's, but if I were to go with a verse, these would probably be it. Because for a long time, they have been a, a, a pillar for me in times of struggle and a reminder to not get comfortable. So let me read for you the, the, the text in context. That, those, two, those verses right there, that's the core of, of where I'm going. But I'm going to put it in context. Um, so let me read this. Chapter 13, Hebrews 13, verses 9 through 14. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priests as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Let's pray. Father God, you know, you know what you've been working in my heart over the last several weeks and I've longed to preach from this passage for quite a while. As I said, Father, this is, this is for me mostly if I can be just gut level honest and maybe selfish. I need this message every day. I need to come to this text and be reminded because I'm so easily drawn to an altar that puts me at the center. So Father, I pray that you take your words, that you would unfold it before us, that you would stir in our hearts a holy discomfort to step outside the walls of a comfortable, safe religion to go where Jesus is. It's going to look different for everybody. Father, do not let us rest until we're satisfied that we are where Jesus is. And that, Father, we would see all things in light of our eternal reward. That we wouldn't forget it. We wouldn't put it up on a shelf as a trophy that collects dust. It would be the very lens through which we see the world. So, Father, would you do this as we open your words? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So here's my outline. I want to tell you the story of two altars. And pull that from the first couple verses uh, that we read. And then I want to challenge you to follow Jesus outside the camp. Maybe that's to step outside comfortable boundaries, push you. Maybe you're already there. If you're already there to help give some framework to conduct yourself above reproach. And then tell you why you should follow Jesus there. So that's where we are now. Why Hebrews? Why, why go to Hebrews? It's a, it's a thick book theologically. There's a lot of Old Testament imagery and pictures in there that I think for most of us are very unfamiliar. But the purpose of Hebrews, the reason that the, the pastor, I think it's a pastor who wrote this book because it's so rich with pastoral shepherding and language and admonition. The purpose is to persuade a church that had bought into lies about Jesus and was being persecuted. This church was buying into lies that Jesus wasn't all that the apostles had said he was, that he didn't do all the things that he said he did, and they're suffering for that. They bought into these lies, and the, the pastor writes to persuade them that Jesus had, in fact, accomplished all that the Old Testament laws, all that the Old Testament rituals could not. And to vie for them to stay faithful to Christ. And that doing so would garner a future reward worth any measure of earthly suffering. That's the drumbeat that runs through the whole book of Hebrews. And so we plop down into chapter 13, very end of, of the book, and he's bringing this whole message, all of his argumentation, he's bringing all of this to, uh, to a close. You, you want a good Easter passage to read, read the whole book of Hebrews this afternoon. 303 verses take you roughly 45, 50 minutes if you just read straight through it. Time after time. He sets up grander pictures of why Jesus is better. Why he's better than the angels. Why in his humanity, being made for a little while lower than the angels, he was able to conquer death, do something that no one else was able to do. Why he's greater than Moses, as the builder of the house is greater than the one who lives in the house. Why he's a greater high priest than the Old uh, Testament priest. Why his sacrifice of himself made once was superior to any of the Old Testament sacrifices. Why him is the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant is better than the Old Testament, or better than all the promises that were given in the Old Testament are in fact fulfillments of that. And on and on he goes. So we get here to the very end. And he makes one last just solid punch. And what he's saying in verses 9, 9 10, 11 he says, don't be carried away by varied or strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. See, this has the backdrop of the Old Testament sacrificial system and particularly what happened on the Day of Atonement. See, most of the sacrifices that were done in the Old Testament, the priests and those who served the tabernacle, they were able to eat of the meat that was left over. 
There's not that's a lot of set, there's not there's not a lot of cultural context that we get here, but you get the sense that the the truths that were given in the Old Testament were mixed with some of the pagan ideas within the culture. Okay, so you have this this uh, that this, that's why he 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 admonishes them: don't be carried away by varied teachings. That's that's alien teachings. Right, those are teachings that are estranged from those that God has given. He says, "Don't be carried away by strange teachings." Those are diverse teachings. That Greek word that's used there is used. Of the, it's it's the same word that's used to describe um, metals that are the combination of different elements. Okay, like brass, and you know when you take different. Uh, core metals and you you fuse them together together right you, you have a diverse mixture there no you, you think of ideas that are half truths maybe and that are combined with things that are false right and he so he's saying don't be carried away by these alien teachings these teachings that are foreign from the promises of god or strange teachings or teachings that are mixed with and have some some, a little bit of a sense and a smell of the truths of God. But there's a lot of things that are false in it. Don't be carried away by these things. And so the backdrop of that, in the, uh, of, of, what, of what he's giving to them, is their familiarity with the Old Testament sacrifices. And that specifically on the Day of Atonement... The high priest went into the holy place, the, only, the, the holy of holies, the only place he could go. Once a year, he went in there. And he offered up sacrifices for the sins of the people, for the nation. But he did not, and none of the priests ate of, of, of the meat that was left over from those sacrifices. The bull and the goat, they were taken outside the camp, outside the safety and the, 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 the walls of the camp, and they were burned. And this, this ritual was being pressed upon these believers. Is you've got to have this as part of your salvation. You Christians, you don't have any rituals. You, you need these rituals in order for you to be saved. It was the, it was the diverse teaching in their time that taught that you know, part of what you ate, if it was an animal sacrifice, it was of great benefit to you. You know, partaking of the actual sacrifice was, was beneficial to you. That you carried some of that over into your actual participation in that. And they're saying, you don't have that. You're, you're missing that. And the writer writes and he says, don't fall for that trap. Don't add on to the covenant of grace one of works and burdens that you're not intended to bear. Now this should be, this is kind of a no-brainer for us. I mean, we sit in the 20, you know, 21st, we're 22nd century? I don't know, I didn't write that down. You know, but where we sit, I always get confused with the centuries thing, you know. But anyways, I mean, we're, we're modern, right? You know, I mean, we've got TV, we've got internet. You know, I mean, nobody, go, you don't go into the market and say, excuse me, was this cow, you know, was it sacrificed to a pagan god? 
You know, we don't we don't ask that. We don't you know, the, we don't typically have that. We've moved beyond that, right? So we read this and we're like, well, duh, that's a no-brainer. But we have another altar. We have another altar. We have an altar that has that has taken alien teachings beyond those of Scripture and fused them with the fruits of Scripture and produced an altar of existential autonomy. This idea that you are self-existent and you, and you exist for yourself. It's an alien and diverse teaching. It's sort of the it's sort of the modern theological or existential uh, McGriddle. You know, you had one of those McGriddle, you know, I mean, it's got phenomenal breakfast foods like mished together. I mean, you get, you get sausage and you get, you know, egg and cheese and then you get a pancake, right? I mean, that, that's awesome. I, I, dro- I drove over from my, my family's worshiping with, uh, with my parents at, at my home church uh, you know, for, for, for Easter today. Um, so I drove over to to be with you and, and to preach, which I'm, I'm very grateful to do. But I had, an, I had a McGrinnell on my way over. You know? So this is a very real uh, you know, example for me. Um, because when you eat a McGrinnell, you're like, oh, that tastes great. That's fantastic. Oh, it's wonderful. And then an hour later, you're like, why did I eat that? So this is a very real analogy for me right now. Um, you know, I have a rock in my stomach. But this is what, the, this is what modern culture has done for, uh, for us, Right? Oh, this takes great going down. These modern ideals of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of virtue. And I'll get more into that you know, here shortly. But it takes great going down, but we pay for it later. Perhaps not in our lifetime, but in our children and our grandchildren's lifetime. This idea of self-existence and that you exist for yourself. And both secular culture and popular uh, American Christianity, they wor- worship at this same altar. Okay, let, don't get in your mind that, oh, we're talking about the they over there. Right? The, 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 they, the they over there. No, this is, this is modern, popular American Christianity. And then on the farther side of that, of a secular culture that denies the existence of God and shuns anything related to Christianity. They worship at the same altar. Two different sides of it. You ever been in a house, you know, where there's a fireplace and it's open in two rooms, you know, maybe a master bedroom or sitting room or something and then the, you know, the main room. Two rooms that look different, but they both face the same burning fire, right? I think this is the same ideal. They both face the same altar, but they're on different sides of it. Okay, let me, let me help kind of capture it because this is, I think this is crucial to understanding this idea of going outside the camp. All right, that this this idea that in order for you to be free, right, freedom. This is something that was pillar to the foundation of uh, of uh, 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 of America. In order for you to be free, you must have access to anything you want, and anything you want is good. Right, I- ideas of freedom, materialism, autonomy. Entertainment and leisure. You know, 200 years ago in the entertainment industry, if you were in that industry, you were kind of laughed at. It wasn't really considered a, a real job because you had reality. And the entertainment industry was totally fiction. And over the last 200 years or so, that's morphed. And it's almost as if it's 
turned into this monster that said, hey, you know what? That idea of fiction and all the things that, you know, previously that was, that was great for children bedtime stories, you know, and for a laugh every now and then, but now we've got to get back to reality. What if we take that idea and you can have, you can turn your own fiction into reality? It's almost as if that's where we've moved to and that's been joined with removing God from any discussion and you know, in any ideas of God, we've moved, we've moved away from that. But we like some of the fruits that, that have been steeped in Christianity. I read an article recently about human rights and, and human rights worldwide. And that you can, when you look at worldwide uh, human rights and what, what the world is talking about in regards to human rights that m- almost and I would say 99% of those have their foundations in Christian doctrine. They have their, their roots in Christian doctrine. But when you shed the root of Christ and the gospel and God's promises and his eternal hope and you lay hold of the fruit. Anybody who knows anything about gardening knows that plant dies. But that's the altar that's been put before us. And there's rituals performed at both these altars, right? Rituals that seek to procure your comfort, your security the aggrandizement of you apart from God or by the means of God. Right? This, is, this would be, you know, activism. I mean, it's sort of a social activism. No. Chuck God away from it, yet there's still this moral attachment to it. No. Well, in order for you to be approved by the culture and to, to, to stay in good graces with people, you've got to be a part of this, you know, whatever this cause is. You know, whatever guilt that you're saddled with, being a part of this cause is going to free you from it. We were made in the image of God. If the Bible is true and sin is true and all these things, that, you know, biblical concepts are true, we can't get away from it. Even if you deny the existence of God, you cannot escape that. You've got to do something with it, and that's where we are. But on the other side of the spectrum, American Christianity saddles the individual with the guilt of your sin. Yes, Jesus died for you, but you still have to work that. Right, you still have to come to church dressed rightly, or you've got still got to come, to, you know, come to church and do all these moral goods. Otherwise, you're not good enough. So, so, so we end up looking around at one another, going, "Am I good enough? Am, am I, am I good enough?" And we're surprised when the lost world performs righteous actions, or let me put it this way, performs moral goods, and we're a little offended at that, and we're a little concerned because they're like they're a little better than I am. We don't look at it from the perspective of the cross and say, any good that's done there, that person needs Christ just as much as I do. And if I find myself looking at them going, wow, that's a moral good that I should be a part of. I should see more and more my own need for Christ. Psalter has rituals. Social activism. Moral burdens that are saddled on those who come to church. You know, see, uh, both sides of that altar, one side says you make much, you, you exist to make much of you. 
right? Whatever you want, you exist to make much of you. The other side of that says God exists to make much of you. Do you see how there's, it's, the same, it's the same altar looking at it from two different perspectives? And I think the, the faithful Christian who's thoughtful, it, it feels the tension of both of those sides. I can't go either direction. I can't go either way. That would be unfaithful. Thank goodness the author of Hebrews gives us a straight line. He says, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Not through these rituals. Not through this other altar. It's good for the, for, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Follow with me this connection here. He says, it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And then in verse 10, he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. That's an altar of grace. Do you see that? It, you're not strengthened by these rituals. You're not strengthened by the, the burden of, 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 uh, of sin and, and, and moral weight that exists. You're not strengthened by any of these things that you do in order to try and alleviate that, even if you lay, even if you put, uh, even if you label Christ on it, he says you have an altar of grace, and that's one shed because of the shed blood of Jesus. We have an altar of grace, and he says in verse twelve, therefore Jesus, that he might sanctify the people. Through his own blood. To sanctify you. To set you apart. That altar of grace is meant to set you apart. Not because you're better. Not because you got your stuff together. Not because you got this perfect family that looks like, you know, whatever the world wants it to look like. It's because you're saved by the shed blood of Jesus. And his resurrection is the evidence that he's conquered death. And that all the things that he's come to do for you are true. So, so the grace of God is given to us through the cross. And that's the grounds for our identity. Not whatever cause we're part of. Not whatever, not whatever church or whose roster or anything that we're on. It's the grace of God given to us through the cross. And it's also the means by which any good we do as well. Verse, uh, verse 14, he carries this on. This is the application. He says, through him then, through Jesus, through the grace given to us, through the altar of grace, Don't neglect doing good and sharing for which such sacrifices God is pleased. It's not like he's kind of tacking this on like, oh yeah, by the way, do good to people and share. No, no, no. He says through the very, if your identity is in Christ, these will naturally flow out of that. If you worship at this altar of grace, the fruit that you're going to bear it looks like this. You see that? You see, the altar of grace is one where we set aside our rights for the holy good of others. 
because that's what Jesus did for us. If you're in tune to the cultural conversation right now, you don't hear a lot of talk about forgiveness, grace, and mercy. People want them, but they don't know how to procure them. It's all about rights. Brothers and sisters, we as Christians have a lot to say about mercy and grace and forgiveness, do we not? We do. This is the altar. Do not be swayed by the false altar. I hope that I've painted that clearly. I hope that I have because it's so easy to fall into standing at the other altar. Because you're bombarded with it every single day. I was driving over here. I told Tina earlier, I said, you know, when I get, when I get an hour and a half, two hour drive from Georgia, you know, over here every once in a while and I'm preaching, it just gives me opportunity to think of word pictures. So you're probably going to get a lot of them. I know, but I was driving over here, and I see this one billboard that says, it, it, says, uh, it says, people who text, uh, uh, texting and driving makes bad people, or makes good people look bad. And I'm sitting there, well, I'm, I'm reading that, I'm going, I mean, this is using cultural shame to keep you from texting. Now, we all know, don't text and drive. I'll be the first to say, I really struggle with that, you know. Please keep me accountable, Jamie, someone else, you know. Uh, you were just right there, you know. I, 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 but do you see that? It, it's cultural shame that I would look around and go, somebody's going to see this and think ill of me. Yeah, th- I mean, this is a social activism in just a simple aspect of texting and driving. Cultural shame used as a pressure to keep you from texting and driving. What's the reality? You might wreck and kill yourself or kill someone else who's in the car. I mean, this is, you know, so you see that. This is just one example. Let me move on. I'll, I'll, I can't use too many, too many illustrations. We worship at the altar of grace. But coming to that altar is not without immense cost because of where it's located. Look at what he says. He says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify for the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Jesus endured the suffering in order to sanctify you. That means to set you apart for ministry. For the proclamation of, of, uh, to the world that Jesus is your greatest treasure. That he's worthy of worship. That he's worthy of of all the things that he's secured because of his resurrection. So the author of Hebrews says, so let us us go out to him. The altar's out there. It's outside the camp. It's outside the comfort zone of comfortable religion where I go and receive a blessing, receive a, a word of encouragement. And then I go about life as usual with, without any risk. This is the point of what he wrote to the Hebrews. It's a call for them to leave the securities of religious rituals 
and follow Jesus, which would mean further suffering. You know, earlier in Hebrews, the writer, he recalls a time when, the, when this very church, when their faith and their obedience to Christ caused them to suffer and they rejoiced. And he, he brings this to them by way of reminder. Let me read this to you. Hebrews 10, 32 and 34. But remember the former days when after having been enlightened, when you first came to Christ, having been enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shearers with those who were so treated. Why? How did this, how did that happen? He tells us, he says, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you had for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Do you see that? I mean, these Christians, these early Christians, they were being persecuted. Their life didn't look like the rest of the culture. And they weren't content just to sit at home in a comfy couch, watch football, play video games, you know, whatever. But their, their souls were stirred because other brothers and sisters in Christ had been jailed because of their faith and they said what do we do if we go nobody's ministering to them nobody's taking them food nobody's nobody's there in jail for them nobody's ministering to their family when you got put in jail i mean that was a, a lot of times a destinance for a family and they said what do we do if we go they will know we're christians and we might receive the same fate and they said we'll go it's a minor act of obedience for the love of other brothers and sisters in Christ, but it, sh it demonstrated that Christ was their greatest treasure. said they went, and they lost houses. They lost camels. I'd say cars, you know, but they, they, they lost property. They lost possessions. And they rejoiced because they were counted worthy of suffering for Christ. very different from our modern Christi idea of Christianity, right? You know, modern mainstream Christianity has produced a lot of what I call all-state Christians. You've seen the commercials, right? Safe drivers save more when they switch. You know, I, they're all-state Christians. Safe, safe Christians save more when they switch to... Safe people save more when they switch to Christ. You know, this is what... This is the bill of goods that's been sold oftentimes about Christianity. You know, come, you'll get fellowship. You know, come, believe in Jesus, you'll get fellowship, right? You'll get, we'll, you know, we'll love you. You know, you'll get a great potluck meal. Remember the days of those, We're kind of getting back to that. Um, you know, promising all of these things, but nobody ever talks about the cost, right? It's, you'll be safe, you'll be comfortable. You'll get, you know, we'll, we'll hook you up with some, some local people who are in business and you'll get more business. Right, well, that makes sense. You'll know, save money. You know, I'll get, I'll rub shoulders with the in crowd. No, I've been to churches, been part of churches that, you know, all the wealthy and influential people, they went to that church. And so if you moved there, if you wanted to be, you know, you, you wanted to have success in the town, you went to that church. And you were automatically folded in and you got phenomenal earthly benefits. All state Christians. That a safe lifestyle with no relational risk 
and you get all the benefits that religion offers. But that's not what Scripture defines as faithful Christianity. The author of Hebrews doesn't write this as if it's an option. Let me just give you a sample of other areas in Scripture that, that bring the same idea to the forefront. Peter wrote, uh, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, pastor at Ephesus, Ephesus, early pastor. He's given him, hey, here's what you need to do as a pastor. And he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. You're doing discipleship, Timothy. Here's Christianity 101. Tell your converts, get ready to suffer. How's that for an evangelistic you know, hook? If you want to follow Jesus, you're going to suffer. Not going to get many people that way, are we? But that's what he tells them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you're the, be the salt of the earth and light. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they'll see your good works and honor your Father who is in heaven. Do you know what, pa- what, pre- what precedes that? Blessed are those who are, uh, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I don't think that Jesus was bookending something and starting something new. They flow together. If you want to be salt and light, expect and anticipate the world is going to hate you. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Do you see more? Where is Jesus? Is he over here in the, in the comfortable part of culture? Or is he outside the camp where wolves are? Dangerous darkness. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 1 Peter 4, 12. Writing to the church that's dispersed because of persecution, he says, don't count it strange, brothers, when you encounter various trials. How many times do we get hit with adversity? And we're like, this is so weird. Peter says, don't count it strange. And you face various trials. Paul to the Romans, momentary light affliction is p- producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Paul was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Think of all the things that Paul went through. And he calls it momentary light. Lord, give me that perspective. You know, I get a splinter in my finger at work and I'm crying. You know, my, my, my six-year-old daughter told me the other day, I don't think I would want to be a daddy. And I was like, why is that? She said, because you have to work really hard and get a lot more splinters than everybody else. Yep. <laughs> we have this contest between she and I. I show her my splinter. She shows, she shows me hers. She feels better. You know, it's great. It works out. Stephen, in the book of Acts, overcome by the Holy Spirit, proclaims the gospel, and he's killed for it. And he rejoices. Paul jailed and beaten, the apostles martyred, the early church suffered immensely, scattered. The New Testament letters and the Gospels were written, shared and compiled, not because they were bestsellers, not because they were on everybody's popular list, but because of the immense hope that they offered in the face of unspeakable suffering. So when we read these of sufferings and other, those that happen around the world, they oftentimes don't resonate with us. You know, what resonates with us more often, I think, is, 
uh, songs like um, um, Zach Brown's Zach Brown Band, Chicken Fried. If you're familiar with it, I mean, here's the, here's think of this. I thank God for my life and the stars and stripes. May freedom forever fly. Let it ring. Salute the ones who died and gave their lives. Why? So we don't have to sacrifice all the things we love, like our chicken fried. I love me some Zach Brown music. Don't get me wrong. But I cringe a little bit every time I hear that because I'm like, that's not what I was made for. It's not. I had a conversation with a coworker the other day about the, the new movie that's come out, Nomadland. Now, I haven't watched it. I don't know anything about it. I'm not advocating it. But just knowing the, the concept of it, you know, these guys that they just, they go around, they're nomads, you know, live whatever they want, you know, they travel and stuff. And I'm like, man, that would be so cool in my mind. But I was like, I, I don't think I could do it because that's not what I was made for. You know, the self-autonomy, I exist to exalt myself and feed myself desires whatever I want. Even if I frame that in some sort of a moral good, it's not what I'm designed for. Jesus is not comfortably settled behind the safe walls of a southern church or on a lounge chair in the backyard sipping lemonade and playing cornhole. He's out beyond the gate where it's not safe. So this is my message to you. It's a call to go outside the camp. Go outside the gates. Do you have risky relationships that prioritize a person's salvation over functional advantages and shared common goods? You got some crazy gospel dream? Ministry in a dark place where Jesus is not welcomed? Some kind of crazy gospel dream nobody else really understands, but the Lord's laid it on your heart. You're just not sure what to do with it. You know, Jesus said, I will be with you. He didn't say, I'll be with you and I'll make things easy and I'll make things comfortable. When he said, I will be with you, I will be with you in the dark places, in the hard places. He promised you'd suffer for it. I mean, I'm going to point to the elephant in the room, right? That's, that's what we've just gone through and looked at. He promises suffering, but he says, I will be with you. And that is the very reason that moves us outside the camp. So here's the last point. Why? Two altars, one that exalts self, comfort, pleasures, whatever, and the other one is an altar of grace, the giving up of your rights and your own whatever, you name it, fill in the blank, for the holy good of others. They're material good, but ultimately they're eternal good. Call to go outside the camp, because that's where that altar is, that's where Jesus is. But the lastly, why? Because our heavenly reward, which is Christ himself, Author of Hebrews says, let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Why, why would you suffer like that? Because we don't have a lasting city here. We're seeking the city which is to come. It's the same line of argument he made when he referenced their former suffering. He says, don't throw away your confidence because you have great reward. 
He says this of Moses in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. That Moses considered the fleeting treasures of Egypt and sin of lesser value compared to the reward of suffering for Christ, looking forward to Christ who would come. And that's not a promise of future comfort because you have all the stuff you need or want. You know, I think, I think a lot of times we're, we put heaven in the background. Heaven, we, we put the new heavens, the new earth, the coming of Christ, his return, where he won't, he won't judge us, but he'll secure our salvation. It will become a reality. We will experience it in its fullness. We don't bring that into the conversation. That, that I think, rarely motivates us for mission or work, but the author of Hebrews makes it the primary thing. When all the redeemed church of God is saved to sin no more. Right? Revelation 21, uh, it, it may actually be Revelation 22, but in there, John's given a vision, and he's given a vision of the new city to come, the new Jerusalem. And there's this wonderful picture of the gates and the jewels, and there's a lot of archi- uh, uh, architectural language that's given there. But do you know what is said just prior to that? The angel of God comes to, to John, and he says, Come, I will show you. He says, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then he paints the picture of the new city, the new Jerusalem. Do you see that? That the architectural language that's given there and all of its art, uh, artistry and all of its, uh, of its splendor and its wonder, it's used to describe the bride of Christ. And what does the bride get? The bride gets her husband. Right? The reward you get is Jesus. That that's what motivates us. That we are sojourners. And that all of that, that should have an impact on how we view everything. So as a close, let me just ask some application questions. Do you live your life in such a way that, that demonstrates to the world that Jesus is your greatest treasure? It's Resurrection Sunday. Do you live? Do you live like you follow a resurrected Savior? Do you live like Jesus never actually came at all? I think that's an honest question. I have to ask myself every day. Every day. Do you hold your convictions about, about hot-button topics like abortion and marriage and sexuality and all, the, all that that entails about, about racial discrimination? Do you hold those in such a way that, Christ is, that shows that Christ is exalted as your greatest treasure? Do you have that as a backdrop, as a foundation, as a framework? What about your, your, your views on the pandemic, mask, vaccine, gun control even? Does it have eternity as the background, as the framework? 
a willingness to follow Christ outside the camp to demonstrate to the others that he's your greatest treasure and that he is generally worthy of worship. If that's true, that's going to fundamentally impact how we argue for these things. Because the way the world is going to see Jesus in you, because that's what you were sent for, that's what I'm sent for, is your willingness to suffer the loss of temporary earthly treasures for the sake of gaining Christ, who's the one who distributes mercy and grace and forgiveness. The very things that the culture and people need but want to secure them through a false altar. I think part of the reason that forgiveness and grace and mercy are not talked about is because of the cost. It's costly. And when a Christian follows Christ... Has crazy dreams, right? No, maybe, maybe that's, and that's not necessarily, hey, I'm going to go out on a street corner and preach to everybody. Not everybody's gifted in that way. I understand. Don't hear me and look around and go, well, I've got to do this, or I've got to go to foreign missions. I've got to go to a country where I'm most likely to die by the time I set foot in, you know, in there. I'm going to go stand out on the street corner. I'm going to preach, and I'm going to have arrows shot at me, or I'm going to be shot, or I'm going to be decapitated. That's not necessarily it. Not everybody's equipped in that way. That may be as simple as saying, you know what? I'm going to adopt a child. Right? I mean, that's not, that's expensive. That takes resources. You're bringing into your home the sin nature, (coughs) excuse me, of an individual who's foreign to yourself. Heard this explained to me by a a fellow brother of mine, uh, a fellow pastor. And he adopted a child and his wife, he and his wife got pregnant in the same year. So they brought a, a, a child home who they adopted and they had their own son. And years later, I asked him, I said, I said just t- share, share with me about this. And he said, Austin, I said, I'll tell you one thing. He said, when I look at my biological son, I see my sin walking around outside myself. It's easy to, it's easy to assimilate to that. It, it's, it's easy to, it's easier to address that and deal with it because there's a part of me or there's a part of my wife. For the adopted child, there's sin that's being dealt where, dealt there, and there's even personality distinctions, and the two are very different, that he said are very foreign to me, and that's a different struggle. That's a very, very different struggle, and I've never thought about that. So even things like that can be a crazy gospel-focused dream in the wake of a culture that says, no, you should, you, sh- you should feed your own desires. That means loss. You should have gain and whatever that means to you. Albeit with some moral framework because we can't escape that, right? So I'll close now. I don't have a cool picture ending to close this out. So that's, that's all I got. Jesus says, let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for here we do not have a lasting city. We're seeking the city which is to come. I think this is one of the effects of the resurrection. Back to Resurrection Sunday. 
One of the effects of the resurrection is that it's moved the playing field for those who are faithful to God outside the comfortable walls to where it's dangerous and where it's dark because that's where Jesus is. And if we love Christ, we'll say, I want to go where he is, even if it costs me. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Again, I need this message desperately. Because Father, you know my heart and you know my, you know my own struggles. I read texts like this and it just, it, it fuels me. But if I'm honest to say I have fears, genuine fears that you won't be enough and I come back to your word and said you're my anchor in heaven. The hope that you've promised and you've given and you've, that you've demonstrated with Jesus on the cross and is being raised from the dead. It's an anchor in heaven and it's not an anchor that I would just hold on to. Weather the storm and say, Lord, just get me through by the skin of my teeth. It's a rescue line for me to slide down into darkness. Be a beacon of light that the world is going to try and crush. That your gospel, the very gospel that has saved me, might save others. And that you would be worshipped and exalted for only you are worthy. So Father, would you do this in me? Would you do this in others who perhaps share a similar spirit of being timid? That it might open the door to have conversation with people who desperately need it. That we might be honest about our own frailty, our own sin, our own ignorance. Say, this is what I do know. Christ is risen this day to save sinners. And I need Jesus and you need Jesus. Let's talk. I know many who are already suffering for Christ. And I pray, Father, that for them you would further fuel that desire to see Christ exalted, that that while standing outside the camp, they would not stand in the way of Christ. Looking back at the city, but would stand behind Him. And point others to Jesus. That Christ in all of our efforts. We would be above reproach. Not perfect. And where we stumble. We would ask forgiveness honestly. And openly. But Father we would seek continually day after day. To point others to the cross where true mercy and true forgiveness might be found. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you, may he keep you, may he cause his face to shine upon you, may he lift up his countenance to you, may he give you peace on this resurrection day. You're dismissed. Have a blessed day.